Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. We have two quick announcements, and then we're off to a big show. Okay. Uh, mine the first, a little merch announcement. Uh, Mm. Lindsay, have you ever seen a three-eyed demon cat? (laughs) No, but I imagine it's something that came out of Logan's brain. Exactly. Black cats can be bad omens. What about three-eyed black cats? What if there was a shirt with a black cat on it? What if you're the one wearing this shirt? Are you now the bad omen? I don't know, but hopefully some of our fans uh, will get this shirt and we can find out. I mean, you're a little bit of a bad omen. I am? No, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Available now at badmagicmerch.com. And then I know you have the uh, donation totals for us this week, I, as promised last week. At, correct. Correct Amundo, Schmundo. Uh, this month, our donation will be going to Lifting Hands International. They provide aid to refugees both at home and abroad. Love their uh, mission statement. No politics, simply humanitarian. Mm-hmm. They've been boots on the ground in the Ukraine. And if you're looking for ways to help over there, you can go to their website, liftinghandsinternational.org, and look for the urgent Ukraine banner at the top. Uh, Our donation amount this month is $14,000 going to Lifting Hands, with an additional $1,550 being set aside for our scholarship fund. That's awesome. Yep. So $1,550 all donated by people who support the show. So thank Mm -hmm. you, all of our Roberts, Annabelles, Bad Magicians. All y'all. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, now, what stories do you have for us today? I have nothing. You have nothing? Wow. No, I just thought just I would like chill. this time. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll come in, get cozy, and just like hang out. We'll go old school. We'll go back to episode one. All right. I'll just tell my stories slower. <laughs> uh, no, I have a possible hat man story. Oh, we haven't uh, had one of those in a while. We have not. And so I'm digging that story. Real weird. Real, real weird. And then uh, another story about... A, pers- a person within a family, they've had a lot of family members pass away. And so it kind of explores this thing of like, I don't know, are you more in touch with the other side the more people you lose? Hmm. That is interesting, yeah, because some people do experience uh, so much more grief than others. Right, right. And like, we yeah. went through this crazy phase 
my brother and I talk about this, where it was like, I think it was something like 15 people in like a three-year span. It was just like boom, 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 boom. And it was either, you know, like a grandparent or a cousin, like an immediate family member, a, a second, like what is it, like twice removed or whatever, but like people that yeah. we were close to or people that were really close friends that were yeah. like family, like my mom's best friend, my my aunt Dorothy. Wow. Which is like a weird thing. And I think that that's what yeah. actually sparked my interest in the other side. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, last week, I said that both of my stories were demon-related. Uh, maybe they kind of were, but maybe that was vacation brain. <laughs> I know. My vacation brain is a mess. <laughs> this week, uh, both of them are for sure demon-related, uh, at least according to those involved. My first story comes from The Warren Files, a lesser-known tale of demonic infestation from Ed and Lorraine's uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren's seminal book, The Demonologist, uh, originally published in 1980. For this entry in it, we head to Vermont in 1974 to hear the disturbing tale of the Donovan family haunting. One woman's Ouija board use seems to have led to contact with something that was not what it said it was, something that would terrorize the entire Donovan family for about two months. Hmm. And then my next tale is known as The Exorcism of Gina. In 1991, ABC News' iconic expose program 2020 would air coverage of the exorcism of a teenage girl identified only as Gina. She'd be cured, but did broadcasting what was supposedly her demonic possession lead to the demonic possessions of others? Hmm. Is it a bad idea to broadcast an exorcism like that? To expose millions directly to what is supposed to be the devil's handiwork? I never thought about that. Yeah, me either. I mean, I've thought about the people in the room, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh man, does the Hamilton song just popped in my head in the room where it happened? If anybody like knows uh, the Hamilton songs, that's all that's in my head right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've never thought about the possibility of it being channeled through yeah, like a, a television, TV, yeah. a, a radio, mm -hmm. headphones. like Hopefully not headphones because I'm going to be playing a snippet uh, a little bit later. Well, it makes me go back to Annalise Michelle that you did on Time Suck and that was through headphones obviously is how people listen to it and there were way too many people writing in saying like, then this happened, then that happened, and then my phone shut off. The lights flickered. Like, well, you might get some messages now after after today's okay. episode. Okay, great, great. Everybody had a hard time sleeping after the last episode that we recorded. This one's creepy. Okay, great, 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 great. I just thought like for sure that there was like somebody in our room trying to get me to like dig in a corner, just like in the oh, cellar wow. story. I was having. Well, we recorded the way we recorded this because we were behind is that we recorded oh my God. the previous week's episode yesterday. Yeah. So now we're recording today. So back to back. I'm really fucked up. And I yeah, was, you didn't sleep well last night. Sure didn't. Sure didn't. I like got up. I plugged in the salt, uh, my Himalayan salt lamp, mostly because it's a amount of light that doesn't wake you up. Uh -huh. uh, I moved it to the hallway because I was like, I don't know. I saw that when I woke up this morning. I know. I, I was a mess. I was a mess. I got like four hours of sleep last night because I was so fucked up on it. Yee. Well, oh man, you might be worse tomorrow. I know. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm going to have to have sleepovers this weekend when you're traveling. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, I have I have two interesting stories I am excited to share. Uh, a little bit nervous. Um, are you ready to hear the first one? I am. I just want to talk about my cute little, like, I don't know what creature this is supposed to be. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't, it reminds me of those, um, oh, man. It's like it was like a stuffed animal. Ugly doll. Yes. Thank you, Joe. Wow. Great. Joe Paisley. We Boom. had those for the kids. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was real quick. Um, yeah, we had, the, uh, Monroe was into those. Uh-huh, she was. Mm-hmm. Oh, funny. Okay, a little bit of setup time to settle in with. Okay. The Donovan family haunting is a lesser-known Warren case from their inf infamous book, The Demonologist. They reached out to the Warrens for help in 1974. They were terrified by what, by what had been going on in their house, constant loud banging on the walls, animal noises, and countless other paranormal happenings that was causing a lot of damage to both their home and their collective sanity. 
after daughter Patty confessed that she'd communicated with the spirit using her Ouija board prior to all the activity, the Warrens came to the conclusion that she'd invited in a demonic entity. In the demonologist, the Warrens referred to the Donovan family as the Beckfords, Peter and Sharon, daughter Vicky, and their son Eric. Other sources, however, list them as the Donovans, Ted and Phyllis, their daughter Patty, and their son Brian. Possible that the Warrens changed their names for privacy reasons, and then later the family's real names were publicized. And since the family never seemed to make any attempt to hide the Donovan name, once it was revealed, I'll refer to them by their actual names here today. Time now for the tale of the Donovan family haunting. The Donovans claimed to experience their haunting during the spring of 1974. According to accounts, they were allegedly tortured by a demonic entity continually for eight and a half weeks. But the source of their troubles had begun unbeknownst to anyone but Patty the previous year. In late 1973, 19-year-old Patty Donovan began using a Ouija board. She'd grown up in a strict religious family, and her parents had kept a tight rein on her and her 15-year-old brother Brian's lives. Sadly, what seemed to draw Patty to use the Ouija board was loneliness and boredom. She had few friends, and once she made contact, she, in addition to being curiously excited about the whole situation, also just enjoyed the attention the spirit spent on her. During her very first Ouija board session, Patty asked, Is anyone there? My name is Patty Donovan. Is there a spirit who can hear me? And the planchette immediately moved to yes, as if something had been waiting to communicate with her. Patty soon had what she believed to be a new friend. And she began to talk to this friend every night for hours at a time. When, for whatever reason, this thing was done talking for the night, the spirit would abruptly end their conversation by spelling out, see you tomorrow. The spirit played to her vanities. It flirted with her, saying things like, you look beautiful in that brown dress today, Patty. You're so pretty compared to all the other girls. Tomorrow, you should wear your hair up. It looks good that way. That's creepy. Or you make me so happy, honey. I'd love to marry you if I could. What? Occasionally, the spirit seemed melancholy, saying things to Patty like, you're so lucky to be alive. Tell me what it's like to be alive today. During nightly conversations that went on for months, Patty would mostly just tell the spirit about her day. One of the many subjects the spirit talked about in return was how it died. Patty came to believe that who she was talking to was the spirit of a teenage boy who died near where she currently lived a decade or so earlier when she was a little girl. A boy who died when he was right around her age now. And Patty began to develop feelings for the spirit. Patty started to view him as her actual boyfriend. Patty was desperate to know the name of her would-be lover, but the spirit continually refused to reveal it. It said it couldn't reveal its name to a living person, or it would have to, quote, return to the mists. She didn't know that, according to demonology lore, when a demon reveals its true name to you, it gives you power over it, power to banish it to a realm where it can't reach out and contact you any longer. Is that why it wouldn't reveal its name? Or maybe did it know that there was no teenage boy who had died in that area a decade before and didn't want to be caught in the lie it was feeding to Patty. In February of 1974, Patty asked the spirit to reveal her future to her. And with a disturbing amount of detail, the spirit described the next six years of Patty's life. It said that she would have three children by 1978, one of many things it said that would eventually turn out to be true. On March 2nd, 1974, when Patty begged and pleaded with the spirit to manifest itself into some kind of physical form so she could see what he looked like, so she could touch him and be touched by him, the spirit abruptly ended their conversation. And then Patty strangely, I think, never communicated with the spirit again. But it didn't exactly go away either. The very next day, March 3rd, her father Ted's car wouldn't start. 
He opened the hood, saw that his spark plug wires had been pulled out, some rubber hoses had been unfastened, and the fan belt had been cut. Patty's car also died the same day. Wouldn't start up at the drugstore, had to be towed. The mechanics told her some internal engine parts had somehow been disassembled. Strange timing. Other strange incidents of vandalism like this occurred the rest of the week. The back doorbell was torn completely out of its housing, shrubs were yanked out by their roots, and a six-foot six cast iron pipe on the roof was bent at a 90-degree angle. A few days later, on March 8th, one of Ted's tires went flat. On March 9th, when Patty got her car back from the shop, one of her tires went flat as well. Then another tire on Patty's car went flat the next day on the 10th. While they couldn't determine why the tires had gone flat previously, this time it looked like someone had slashed it with a knife. Patty tried reaching out to her spirit would-be lover, afraid this was all happening because he was mad at her for reasons she couldn't understand. But every time she now tried to communicate with the spirit using the Ouija board, the planchette quickly slid to goodbye, over and over. What had she done? Was the spirit furious with its fate of not being able to manifest itself into some kind of human form in the land of the living? During the second week of March, Ted complained to the police about the vandalism. He showed them the slash tire. He also told them about hearing someone pounding on his house a few nights back before fleeing. The police promised to pay the house closer attention when driving by and uh, during their nightly patrols. Later that week, Ted and Phyllis questioned their son Brian about his friends. They wondered if he had any enemies at school who could now be harassing them. Before he could even answer, they heard a loud crash. Something had slammed against the wall of the house. When the family inspected, they found an 18-inch hole in one of the walls in Brian's bedroom. So odd, the edges of the hole pointed inwards, as if someone from outside had hit the wall, but there was no damage to the house's exterior. It was as if something inside the wall had pushed through into the bedroom. That night, the family then heard scratching in the walls, as if a squirrel had maybe gotten inside them somehow. Then Ted heard something a hell of a lot scarier than that. He heard what sounded like someone trying to pry up one of their floorboards. The sound of someone or something trying to enter their home from underneath. He jumped out of bed, ran towards the source of the sound. When he didn't find anyone or any damaged boards, he inspected the rest of the house. Still nothing but he heard something again, more scratching. Scratching noises would continue to be heard by him and everyone else in the family every night for the rest of the week. And then there was more trouble with tires. A few days later, Patty suddenly had not just one, but three of her tires go flat. So Ted bought her new ones. A day or so later, March 19th, one of Patty's new tires was slashed. The Donovan family pretty disturbed at this point. Uh, this time when the tire was slashed, the car was locked in the garage had the vandal found a way to break in. They feared someone was watching their house and targeting them, but they couldn't figure out who or why anyone would want to do this. During the third week of March, they heard something pounding on the house from outside all night. The Warrens would later write, hard kaboom type wallops came in a series of threes, hitting with so much force they shook the house. The family also heard jarring raps on the walls inside, escalating from taps to what sounded like pounding fists. They heard constant scratching and the, and the specific unsettling sounds of floorboards being ripped up, but they couldn't ever find the source of these sounds. Then on the weekend of March 20th and 21st, Ted found the pressure valves on some of the home's steam radiators unscrewed, which caused hot water to spew out onto the walls and onto the carpet. He screwed them back in, but a few hours later, they were loose again and spewed water everywhere. Screwed them back in, loosened yet again. That cycle would repeat several additional times. Also, pounding noises continued throughout the weekend. Ted searched high and low for the source of the noise. He had 23 years of experience in machine design, but could not figure out the problem. Felt like he was losing his mind. Felt like they were all losing their minds. March 22nd, he called a furnace repairman and plumber. 
March 23rd, the furnace repairman arrived, initially found the furnace to be working perfectly, but then before leaving, he too heard pounding noises coming from the furnace. He went on over two days' time to spend 19 hours trying to fix the furnace. After all that, all he could tell the Donovans was, the sounds are not being caused by the furnace. On March 24th, the plumber came out to look at the radiators. Ted was at work, so Phyllis explained to him that the pressure valves were constantly unscrewing. After an inspection, the plumber said the radiators worked perfectly, but he started to replace the old valves anyway, just to make Phyllis happy and cinch them tight. And when he started to work on the second one, after replacing the first valve, the first one he tightened loosened on its own. He repaired the first one again, moved back to the second one, only to have the first valve loosen once more. After that happened a third time, he put the original part back on, packed up his tools, and told Phyllis, Lady, you got yourself a problem. (laughs) Yeah, time to get the fuck out. And then clearly spooked, he left and refused to ever come back. After he left, one of Patty's new tires found slashed inside the locked garage again. The paranormal activity was escalating. Over the next few days, the pounding on the walls the family had been hearing grew louder and louder. The house shook hard enough to have pictures and other decor fall off of the walls. The Donovans couldn't get any sleep. The terror was constant. They started trying to stay out as late as possible to avoid being home by going out to eat, going to the mall, watching a movie. But then whenever they get back home, the pounding would be waiting for them. On March 31st, yet another one of Patty's new tires is slashed, bringing the total up to at least six flat tires for the family. Then at 10 p.m. that night, while Ted and Phyllis are watching TV in bed, trying to ignore the pounding around them, while their teenagers, Brian and Patty, are sitting on their bedroom floor, afraid to be alone in their own rooms, the lights flicker three times and the TV turns off. The family now watches in horror as a large dresser in the room begins to levitate. The dresser was roughly six feet across, 200 pounds, somehow begins to twist back and forth in the air. Perfume makeup bottles fall from the floor and shatter. When the dresser settles back down to the floor, a drawer slides open, hovers, then slams back shut. Then all the drawers begin to slam back and forth, open and shut, while the Donovans continue to watch, frozen in fear. A chair with a pile of clothes on it now lifts off the floor, tilts forward, dumps the clothes onto the floor. Then all the pictures in the bedroom lift off their hooks, float away from the walls, float around in a circle high above the floor. Phyllis screams, my God, what have we done to deserve this? When she screams, the bed collapses, sending her and Ted toppling to the ground, and all the floating pictures now fall to the floor at once. What the fuck? Then all is quiet, paranormally speaking, for a few hours. After that, the activity intensifies. Later that night, after cleaning up the mess, Ted and Phyllis hear what sounds like a kitten crying in a spare bedroom. They have no cat. And then that sound morphs into the sound of a baby wailing. Ted wants to check things out. Phyllis is too afraid of what they might find, stays in the bedroom. That night, uh, nightly scratching sounds now turn into ripping and tearing noises. The whole family hears what sounds like a wood panel plank being ripped off the wall and what sounds like fists pounding on the roof. As the hours pass that night, uh, these noises move, slowly making their way from outside to inside, then up the hallway towards the family's bedrooms. And then they just stop and everything goes silent for about an hour. Then Ted and Phyllis, who have gotten basically no sleep this night, it had been so long now since they've had undisturbed sleep, they hear sudden, sharp, jarring raps on their headboard. Like someone is hitting their headboard from the other side with a hammer, causing them to jump out of bed. They hear what sounds like something big falling over in the living room. Ted runs out to investigate, finds his daughter Patty standing in the living room, screaming, Something was here! Something was in the room with me! Patty describes a menacing, shadowy, humanoid shape moving towards her in the darkness, disappearing when her father enters the room. Then all is quiet, but just for a few hours again. The next day, on what is now April 1st, the Donovans claim it rained rocks on their home. 
The Warrens would write, the rocks descended right out of the blue sky, pelted the Donovan's roof, and rolled off onto the lawn. Phyllis and the kids were home alone when it happened. Phyllis called Ted, who told her to call the police. When the officers arrived, they were stumped. It's written that they actually witnessed some stones falling from the sky, and this only happened at the Donovan house, not to any other houses in the area. The officers supposedly suggested to Phyllis that she call a priest. Phyllis waited to contact a church, and hours later, the night of the first, more levitating objects. Various objects around the Donovan home allegedly are witnessed rising into the air, floating around, falling onto the floor, slamming against walls, sometimes shattering, sometimes launching themselves at members of the family. The next morning, April 2nd, Ted contacts a local rectory, speaks with the priest on duty first thing in the morning. He goes over everything that had happened to he and his family. Phyllis also speaks on the phone. They want to make it clear this is not just one person witnessing all of this. Multiple witnesses uh, obviously, obviously suggest this is not mental illness, this is a violent haunting, and the priest arrives within an hour. And, of course, all is peaceful the entire time the priest is visiting. Without witnessing anything personally, the priest now begins to doubt the family's claims. No rituals of any kind are performed. But, of course, as soon as the priest leaves, objects begin to levitate inside the house, again sometimes crashing into family members. It felt as though the family was being taunted, and Ted was starting to crack. He finally broke down a bit, confided in someone at work during his next shift. His supervisor thankfully actually believed him. He also remembered hearing about the Warrens on the radio and suggested that Ted and Phyllis check them out. Uh, he also heard that putting a blessed object in a home could stop poltergeist activity. Ted, desperate to try something, anything, found an 18-inch plaster statue of St. Anne in the basement of their home. Incredibly, when he took St. Anne upstairs, he heard a tremendous commotion downstairs. He saw rec room furniture supposedly floating through the air, soap and detergents levitating up, spilling onto the floor. Then when Ted goes back upstairs, the statue had vanished. Later that night, he finds it behind a toilet in the bathroom. Also, uh, that night, the entire family will later claim to have heard shrieks and hellish noises come from throughout the house. And St. Anne moved around again. She was later found hidden under the covers in the guest bedroom. So strange following morning, Ted finds obscenities written on his son Brian's door. He's furious, initially blames Brian, who cries and adamantly repeats that he did not do it. Ted now decides to move the family to a hotel. Woo! Get mm. the fuck out! Yep, so they can get some much-needed sleep, but they will not get any. Their fear and frustration will only deepen when they realize there is no fucking hiding from whatever is tormenting them. No! The, par the paranormal torture follows them to the hotel. Lights at the hotel flicker, pictures, uh, pictures fly off the walls of their room. Uh, they can hear what sounds like something pounding on the walls of their room. After leaving to go have breakfast the following morning, their room is ransacked. When the Donovans return to their room after breakfast, they find furniture tipped over, drawers pulled out, sheets and clothes thrown everywhere, and they're asked to leave. The manager said other guests had been complaining about strange and disturbing noises coming from their room, and a housekeeper had just reported them for damages. The Donovans, at their wit's end, terrified, don't know what else to do but to return home. The Warrens will later write about what they returned to. When Ted opened the front door, the mixture of smells was unbelievable. Rugs and beds were saturated with spilled food, cleaning fluids, liquor, shoe polish, cologne, perfume. Towels were stuffed in the toilets. Furniture in every room knocked over, some of it broken. Across the walls were scribbled truly demented blasphemies in blood-red ink and obscene accusations against God and Christ. On April 7th, after cleaning up this frightening mess as best they could, on Palm Sunday, Ted's brother Terry brings his family over for dinner. Phyllis and Ted tell Terry everything that had happened to them. And then, of course, nothing happens that evening for Terry to see himself. But he still believes his brother, and he decides to send his family home, and he's going to stay the night. Late that evening, he's showing his brother, Phyllis, and his niece and nephew pictures from their most recent vacation. 
He and his family had stopped at a place called Holy Land, some now long defunct roadside attraction, and when he showed a slide of crosses and religious statues, what looked like blood began to flow from one of the basement walls. It would only appear later as water. Also, the lights flickered and a horrible pounding started upstairs. Ted, Ted and Terry ran up to find the source of the noise. Every time they got close, though, it would switch locations. Ted told Terry he should leave. He worried that something about his presence was increasing the level of paranormal activity that they were already experiencing. Terry urges him to find a priest who will believe him. He begins to search. Uh, he began that search, which took him longer than he had hoped. On April 8th, Ted was approaching the limits of his sanity. Afraid to leave his family home alone, he'd been calling sick for work, and now he didn't have many more sick days left. He was worried about losing his job, or his mind, or both. He tracked down a Catholic monk who seemed open to believing him. He talked him into visiting their home, and thank God the monk heard some unseeable force pounding on the walls. The monk told Ted, This kind of spirit which delights in tormenting people is not a ghost, but a spirit of a special order. I myself cannot challenge that type of spirit that appears to have entered your home. By special order, it appears clear that the monk meant demonic forces were at work. When Ted asked him who could challenge the spirit, the monk explained that he may have to again wait longer than he was going to want to, saying before the church will assign clergy to a case such as yours, the matter must first be proven genuinely spiritual in nature. When Ted asked if there was anyone outside the church who could help them right away, the monk recommends that Ted contact Ed and Lorraine Warren. Second time they've been recommended now. So Ted calls the Warrens up, uh, ends up speaking with their assistant, who, after speaking with the Warrens, calls him back and tells him that the Warrens will come to his house in five days when they get back from a trip out west. It's going to be a long five days. The next morning, stones rain on the house again. So it happened off and on all week, always stopping at dusk. Sometimes the stones felt like a gentle rain. Other times they would end up hitting hard enough to embed themselves in the roof. Incredibly, no windows were shattered. Also, sometimes the stones would vanish after falling. In addition to this strange paranormal rain, during the, uh, this five-day stretch of, uh, you know, some kind of paranormal hell, crucifixes on the walls turned upside down, pictures of saints ripped up, that Saint Anne statue continued to disappear and reappear around the house. Also one night, something tore apart Brian's bed. It was revealed that his box spring had been covering up some sort of picture of Jesus. The atmosphere of the home was dark, depressed, the, Don the Donovans feared the torment would never end, family members now constantly felt like they were being followed, that someone was always behind them, watching them. Phyllis even claimed on more than one occasion to witness a dark, featureless human form uh, when she'd spin around and catch him standing behind her. On April 12th, Good Friday, stones rained on the house again, the evil presence following the family felt more powerful, more present than ever. Incredibly, I can't remember ever hearing about something like this before. Now large objects in the home began to dematerialize. For example, the sofa cushions would just disappear and then reappear hours later. Brian's bedroom door dematerialized and then was found hours later on the cellar stairs. A pair of shoes that had been in storage found placed next to the door, imitating the, someone's walking position. Creepy. On April 14th, Easter Sunday, the Warrens arrived in Vermont to help the Donovans. The first thing they see are the stones on the lawn. The outside of the house appears normal, but when they get inside, they were shocked by the extensive damage. It looked like vandals had been squatting inside of the house instead of a family living in the home. The rain was overcome with a heavy and terrible feeling of oppression. She sent so many different malevolent entities she wanted to run back outside. Per the Warren's written account of the incident, it seemed to her that a wild fury was building, that indeed the worst was yet to come. And then finally, the origin event for all this activity was revealed. Ed asked if anyone had used a Ouija board, explaining how important it was to tell the truth about this and other questions if they wanted the haunting to stop. 
Patty now breaks down, admits to her months of contact with what she believed to be the ghost of a boy around her age who had died years earlier. She was defensive. She said the spirit she talked to couldn't be the one tormenting them now. Uh, he was kind. He was understanding. But then she did confess that she hadn't spoken to him since March 2nd when she'd asked him to reveal himself. And the family's problems started the very next day. The Warrens explained to the Donovans that whoever Patty or whatever Patty had been communicating with, definitely not the ghost of some boy from the area. It was demonic. The Warrens now called a friend of theirs, a priest named Father Daniel Mills, to assist with ridding the Donovan home of a demonic infestation. He arrived after sunset. He showed up just in time to hear a variety of horrible, frightening, and hard-to-explain sounds inside the Donovan home. He witnessed impossibly levitating objects. With the priest nearby, Ed decided to try and communicate with what was inside the house. He pounded twice on the wall, and the entity pounded twice back. He pounded four times quickly. Four raps came on the floor, then the table. But despite this thing clearly directly interacting with him, he wasn't able to get it to answer any actual questions. Father Daniel now blessed each room. As he did so, the frequency and power of the noises decreased. Father Daniel was convinced that the powerful and harmful forces were at work inside the home, or that powerful and harmful forces, and that despite his blessings, the entities remained, and until they were gone, the Donovans would not be safe. So he promised to do his best to stay with the terrified family whenever the Warrens weren't able to stay themselves, until this whole mess was sorted out. The Warrens then left to go home for a few days. Father Daniel remained and documented more activity. Over the following several days, Father Daniel noted that on numerous occasions, when he would ask for something like water or a pencil, the object he was in need of would actually levitate towards him, or what he was looking for would materialize out of nowhere a few seconds after asking. And sometimes the object was already on its way over before he asked. The Warrens returned on April 18th. Father Daniel now left to reflect on what he'd experienced back at the rectory for a few days. The Warrens' first time staying the night it was April 18th or April 19th. They heard, quote, Gruntings and other bestial noises, followed by the sort of piercing, blood-curdling screams one normally associates with a horror movie. A pounding also shook the whole house, escalating in intensity for over an hour. And then a shadowy figure materialized in front of Ted and Phyllis in their bedroom. Ed, after sending Brian into his bedroom with Lorraine, ran into Ted and Phyllis's room. Patty was now also in the room. Ed demanded the spirit that they had just witnessed reveal its identity. And when he finished speaking, the bed Ted, Phyllis, and Patty sat on levitated two feet off the floor. Then their dresser flew at them and smashed into the wall. Meanwhile, Brian was now crying. And when Lorraine reached over to comfort him, he floated up into the air, levitating above his bed. Then something threw him into the wall. Back in Ted and Phyllis's room, uh, written blasphemies now began to materialize on the ceiling. Wallpaper started to peel itself off sheet by sheet, revealing more obscenities, more blasphemies written on the walls beneath. Even more intense, pictures, doilies, towels started to catch on fire before becoming flaming projectiles hurling towards family members. A few days later, April 22nd, April 23rd, Father Daniel documented all the activity I've described and more that occurred, sent his records up the chain of the church, hoping to have an exorcism on the home quickly authorized. While he waited for an answer, now back at the Donovan home, Father Daniel prayed for the family to be protected and asked God to banish the spirits. And one night while doing so, his rosary beads took off, floated all the way into the kitchen. They wrapped around a chair, imitating what he felt was strangulation, and the family fled the house. Not knowing where to go, though, they eventually return, where they continue to be assaulted by horrible sounds and further torments. April 27th and 28th, fires spontaneously erupt around the house. Family members more routinely hit with moving objects. Furniture continues to disappear, reappear, or switch rooms without sound or warning. 
that on May 2nd, the exorcism Father Daniel had requested would take place after finally being approved by the church. A priest and an exorcist named Father Rourke arrived at 9.30 a.m. to begin. He first blessed everyone present. Early into the ritual, Father Rourke called out for the spirit to identify itself and demanded the spirit yield to God. And then Phyllis suddenly cried out, There! By the fireplace! Incredibly, they all later claimed to now see a shadowy tall figure with a horned head, cloven feet, and a tail standing in the room with them. The temperature in the room dropped tremendously. A rotten smell filled the air. Father Rourke threw holy water towards the beast, ordered it to leave. After the beast unleashed a final primordial scream, the figure disappeared. And now, after all that torment, it was over. One exorcism, and the Donovans were never haunted again. Whatever door Patty opened seemed to now be closed. The Donovans would remain in their home after all that. They would spend roughly $5,000 to pay for damages caused by whatever had been haunting them, about $22,000 worth of damages today, and they reportedly had never bothered again. Although the exorcism cured their paranormal problems and some construction costs repaired the physical damages, I have to imagine that psychologically, this experience permanently affected each member of the Donovan family significantly, Patty in particular, especially when the entity's predictions regarding her future would come true. What a wild experience. What began as a bit of teenage fun turned into such an extreme case of demonic infestation. And then with one properly conducted exorcism, it was all over. Wow. Yeah. So many wow, 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 wow. Yeah, there's been speculation, you know, like just by uh, uh, fans of the Conjuring universe that this could be, you know... uh, the next one, the premise, yeah, like the, it hasn't been so far. There's no, there's no formal plans, mm-hmm. but people keep wondering. I think, I think it's been considered. Hmm. So I feel like next five, ten years, very likely that there'll be a movie based on all this. I actually made a note that some of it sounded familiar from some of their previous movies, and I just wonder if, like, you know, Creative Liberties is mm. like, oh, like the furniture floating, like the priest spending the night when the Warrens left. Like some of that sounded oddly familiar from. A previous war type happened. movie. Yeah, it has happened. Others, and, and that's um, you know, like uh, things spinning in circles, floating around, knocks of three again. You know, that's actually we've looked at enough of these stories now, like kind of fairly common. So, I, so I think you're right. I think like in previous yeah. movies, some of these things have happened. You know, because they do seem to follow patterns for whatever reason. Yeah, just in particular, like the uh, wallpaper peeling and mm. the floorboards popping up, and the priest spending the night, huh. and the warns not. Or like them kind of taking turns. Yeah. For some reason, that really stood Can't out in my remember. brain. It could, it could be any number of horror movies mm-hmm. all mashed together yeah. in my brain. Yeah. Wow, that was fucking nuts. <laughs> that is nuts that they did GTFO and then it just followed them. That was like the scariest part. I never thought of that. Like, because I don't know that we've really explored that. We It has come up a few times, but not to that degree. Mm-hmm. It has come up where like people have left... Um, oftentimes it seems to be, uh, there, it's like there's something attached to one person. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what story it was right now, but there was um, a, a person, another story. I think it was an, a, like an older story from, I want to say the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And then I, I believe it was some young girl. And then when she went to go stay with an uncle or some other family member. Was this in Italy? Haunting. No, I don't think so. I think it was oh. in America, but but I could be wrong. But the haunting happened there as well. But there has been a few instances where it's like they leave and, you know, what is that called? Attachment. Mm-hmm. Like that thing of like demonic attachment where... It's not attached to the house, actually. It's attached to the person. And it seems in this case that it was never really the house. It was more Patty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she was always with her family. What mm-hmm. they never tried to do, not that not that anyone would want to do this, but was uh, to like single people out mm-hmm. and see where it, you know, like, okay, you three stay here. And then the Warrens and the priest yeah. and Patty oh, man. go here. Yeah, and then inter- swap. 
interesting for Patty. Yeah. Once they found out that she was the one who opened the door, if they were like, okay, Patty, you're going to go to a different city and stay with like other relatives. And then if things started happening there, that'd be so crazy. I got the feeling that in using the Ouija board, that it is likely, in my opinion, mm -hmm. that she did contact a young boy. Maybe that's who it was at first. Mm -hmm. And then it opened the door for the demon <sighs> or the demon was posing as the young boy. And I think that that is the element of Ouija boards that makes me so uncomfortable is that you don't really know who you're talking to. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no way to like prove it. You can't even say like, show me your face, write your name down. Yeah. Like, like show me, give Ugh. me a sign that it's really you. It's like, that's not valid because the demon could be mimicking your loved one or whomever. Right. That makes it just such a, a wild thing. I was keeping track of the dates also. It went on for like almost two months. Because you said that she on March 3rd was the day that she, that basically oh, yeah. her and the demon guy broke up, yeah. so to speak. And then on May 2nd was the exorcism. Right. That's think, a long fucking uh -huh. time. Yeah, like, I think it was like eight and a half weeks, something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yee. Oh, man, oh, man. I had so many notes. That was a lot to keep track of. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe, like, the furniture disappearing. Like, what did you call it? Dematerializing? Dematerializing, yeah. I hadn't heard the that one before. Fuck? That doesn't sound right. real. That does not sound real. That sounds like some men in black kind of shit. I know. Uh, and how scary too that like, um, okay, let's say like you're correct and initially it was the ghost of some young boy and then this other thing like takes its place. Mm -hmm. Like what if that other thing scared the first thing off? Like like what, what if you you could be a ghost? A, you can be a ghost. Yeah. And B, when you're in ghost land, you can be terrorized by demon monsters. Oh my like, God. That's, that's scary. I'm going to sneeze. Okay, so go sneeze. Uh, while you sneeze, I'm going to bring up the photos. <laughs> Bless you. Thank, uh, you. Thank the, you. Sorry about that. No, hey, it happened. This first one, the only photo I can find associated with any article about this haunting, I, I think it's a stock image, but it's mm. a good one. Mm -hmm. And then this next picture, I was just looking, when I was looking for this, I just came across it. And for whatever reason, it reminded me of this, but like, ugh, this is from Insidious. And I just hate that little oh, devil God. guy. Right? They did such a good, it is so creepy. I'm not looking again. I already did not sleep well last night. I, wow. don't, I don't feel great today about getting better sleep. So, well, yeah. Well, this this picture it just made me think like, okay, at the end there when the the they all saw that little creature that had like the tail and the horns. Obviously, that's the uh, imagery associated with the devil. Even mm -hmm. though the devil's actually never described that way in the Bible, like it comes Correct. from like later interpretations. I wonder. Okay, what if, what if some people see that image because it's what it's the image that would scare them the most. Oh, like oh, what oh. if these things can just like if they can manifest themselves in some what form? What movie is that where it what? capitalizes on your fears? It knows what your fears are, oh, yeah. And then it, you know, if you were afraid of snakes, then that would be the thing that got you, right? I don't know. Oh God, I cannot remember. Too many scary things. Like it's, it's not called phobia, but it's something about like your phobias Ugh. coming to life. Oh God, it was awful. Ooh, ooh, ooh. It was okay. I just want to talk a little bit more about Patty and. Mm her like spirit boyfriend. Yeah. And it just made me, you know, really hone in on this thing about anytime, especially with kids, you tell them, don't look over here. That's mm -hmm. any kind of like severe restriction or like strict life. Nine times out of 10, I would say people go hard the other direction. So I feel like this is somewhat her parents' fault too. Mm, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, when like, you're too strict. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can have rules and you can be stern. But don't be repressive. It, that's the perfect word for it. Exactly. You know, yeah, you put that kind of pressure on somebody. It's not natural. No. And, and, and it is natural to kind of bounce back and push against it. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or just crumble. I mean, it, I, it, in my mind, it usually goes one of two sad ways. Mm-hmm. They, either, they either push back too hard and go too wild in the other direction, or they just kind of die inside. Right. And, and it's like the light goes out and they just, you know, shuffle through life just to like, you know, whatever, whatever makes mom and daddy happy. <sighs> Oof. All Yeesh. awful ways to live. Last thing before we move on. Um, I did also write, I wrote down, was the spirit protecting her by going to no? So when she asks the spirit boy mm. to materialize, to really show itself, and it goes to a hard no, and then she can't get him to come back and mm-hmm. communicate with her, I have to wonder if it was, in fact, a young spirit boy, mm-hmm. and the reason he didn't materialize was because he knew that if he tried to, he would bring something with him. I, I had this thought of like, oh, he was trying to protect her. Maybe it was too late. Well, obviously too late because of what ensued afterwards. Right. But The story's really giving me the chills. Like, uh, it's freaking me out right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I said this yesterday when we recorded last week's episode, but I've been reading so many fan stories and I have an episode coming up that is so good about spirits from the other side, like, the relationship between us and them. And I was just picturing it the whole time, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like yeah. the things that can happen mm-hmm. that what if nobody else sees it? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just such a mind fuck. That is what it is. Yes. Ah, gotta well, cleanse the house for sure. I did not do it last <laughs> night. We were too busy doing other things. And, <laughs> and uh we gotta do it tonight. Okay. Have to. I the feel I felt the so, cleansing? both. Oh, okay. We um, ooh. We could we could just do it like, you know, as part of our routine. <laughs> okay, yeah. This is how I get Dan into crystals and oh, boy. smoke cleansing and all of that. We're just like do it naked. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, unfortunately, our next story is similar to this story. So I our- have so many full body chills. <laughs> it is wild. This this the recording's gonna you're gonna lose your shit. Oh, uh, are you ready God. to leave one demonic tale behind only to start a new one? Uh, not particularly, but I you know here we go. Another tale of demonic possession right after today's sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. 
With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, this summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Who doesn't love a little special something, a gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com slash scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash scared zocdoc.com slash scared and we're back creeps and peepers that short break from today's horror is over decent amount of time needed to set up this one Uh, most of the exorcisms we've covered so far have taken place somewhere private i think all of them have have actually Uh, in a church someone's home uh, somewhere the guest list is tightly controlled someplace other people won't stumble into and risk the demon possibly transferring over to the new host That will not be the case here with this story. The exorcism I'm about to share was widely viewed, broadcast to millions. Was that a terrible, reckless, and dangerous idea? 29 million people tuned in to the April 4th, 1991 episode of 2020. Oh my God. How many? Uh, 29 million. Holy crap. One of that program's most watched ever episodes. TV reporter Tom Drill uh, Tom Gerald, uh, excuse me, talked about a six-hour exorcism he'd witnessed that had recently taken place in Florida with a 16-year-old girl named only as Gina, and portions of Gina's exorcism were televised. Gina had been physically abused as a child by an acquaintance, mm. then felt traumatized by her parents' divorce. And according to her mother, Gina had recently began behaving oddly, throwing tantrums, spitting, speaking in a low gurgle as something that identified itself as Minga. Worried for her daughter's mental health, Her mother sent Gina to a hospital where she was diagnosed with psychotic episodes, but none of the antipsychotic medications she was prescribed seemed to be working. And instead of improving, Gina's condition grew worse. Her mother then turned to the church and with the help of Reverend James Labar, who had the idea to broadcast the ancient rite. His argument was that he wanted to show 2020's millions of viewers that that the devil was still very much around and that people could still turn to the church for help from evil forces but did his effort do more harm than good? 
Time now for the tale of the exorcism of Gina. During this segment, 2020 viewers were told by the anonymous priest performing her exorcism, Father A, that during a con consultation over the course of Gina's six-month pre-exorcism preparation process, she had mentioned another case he'd worked on by name. For Father A, this was definitive proof that there was more at play with Gina than mental health struggles. He knew there was no way she could have learned about this case she spoke of by any non-paranormal means. There were no records Gina have, could have gotten her hands on. He'd never spoken about the possession with her or her family. And she and her family didn't know the person involved or anyone in the social circle of the person involved. And Father A knew that clairvoyance is a clear sign of demonic possession. Also, a woman who prepared the room before Father A's exorcism would speak to 2020 of the strength Gina showed last time her demon stirred her, throwing her, uh, throwing around everything in the room with terrifying and human power. Because of this, during the exorcism, Gina would be physically restrained. Strapped to a chair, she proceeded to bark and babble mysterious languages before Father A. You want pain? I'll give you pain, he said at one point, addressing the demon. Throw your terror, Lord, over the beast who is destroying what belongs to you. Abruptly, Gina stopped retching, turned violent, a low guttural voice burst forth, Get out of here! Undaunted, the priest responded, In the name of Jesus Christ, I silence Minga. I command the spirit of evil to leave now. But the menacing voice returned, We don't want to leave! We want Gina! But they wouldn't be able to keep her. By the end of the exorcism, Gina became complacent, obeyed the commands of the exorcist, whose voice also softened into a compassionate tone as he said, Gina, kiss the cross of Christ. Mama's going to take you home now. Relax. That day's exorcism ended with no one hurt, but Father A seemed to have had something dark in his eyes when he told viewers, I could die tomorrow, I could be attacked, I could be taken over. Clearly, he was worried about the power of whatever was inside Gina. He would not die or be attacked or be taken over. But what about the millions who would soon watch his exorcism? Later that night, Gina was still hearing voices, so Father A performed another exorcism, this time at her house. She was then taken back to the Miami Children's Hospital, where she spent two weeks in the psychiatric unit and was put on antipsychotic medication again. And this time, she seemed cured of whatever had been ailing her. Some would say that it was all psychiatric intervention that cured her, but Reverend James Labar told viewers that it was important to note that Gina's improvement began after the second exorcism. Before she had the exorcism, nothing happened, he said. According to reporters after the exorcism, Gina said she was happy and thanked God for her liberation from evil. Others who watched it, though, may not have felt so liberated. People had exorcism parties all over the place, one 2020 viewer later told People Magazine. I was in sixth grade when this aired. I taped it. I brought the VHS into my small all-day seminar class the next week to share with my classmates. When the 26 or so minutes of tape devoted to the exorcism were done, the room was thick with a cannot-unsee sense of unease. I remember thinking I could see the dark circles forming around their young eyes. Monsignor Rossetti, a Catholic priest who once worked out of the Diocese of Syracuse, uh, Syracuse, New York, for five years before moving on to Washington, D.C., said that he and his team have performed hundreds of exorcisms, if not thousands, and he noticed a sudden spike in possessions after that episode of 2020 aired. Once, as Monsignor Rossetti watched a man in front of him, he said he saw his blue eyes turn yellow and the pupils shrink down to dots. They looked, Rossetti said, precisely like the eyes of a hissing snake. Another time, he said he watched a man's eyes in turn, uh, turn in entirely jet black. When looking for the source of the dark energy in that man's case, Father Rossetti turned to the man's phone, where in his internet search history, he found that the man had just watched a video of the 2020 exorcism of Gina on YouTube. Well, recently. And then in the days that followed watching it, he started getting an alarming amount of text messages from a phone number that didn't look normal. And instead of the regular 10 digits, it was a string of numbers and letters. He belongs to us, read one of the text messages. 
And back in 1992, after 2020 aired that exorcism, Father James LeBar, who had just been promoted to chief exorcist of New York by Cardinal O'Connor, said he started getting around 20 calls a day from those seeking assistance with demonic possession, far more than his predecessor. And he wondered how many of them had watched Gina's exorcism. How many demonic possessions had that one exorcism led to? So that's all for the story. I'm going to show you two pictures, and then we're going to listen to a little clip. Okay. So the first is Father James. I feel Le- so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> the first is Father James Labar. Hold on. I got. I have a cross somewhere. I'm just going to dig it out because yeah, I am in that little box. feeling real uncomfortable, and I don't want to get any further in this story without a little handheld cross. Okay. And, and a crystal or two. Or three. <laughs> uh, okay, I feel okay. I feel as prepared as one can feel. This first one, Father James Labar, chief exorcist for the Catholic Church in New York in the 90s. Okay, normal guy, fine, fine. Next one is Gina, a pick from People Magazine okay. during her exorcism. Oh, God, oh, God. And now we're going to watch a short clip from part of Gina's exorcism that aired on 2020. Oh. About 20 seconds worth. Oh, boy, oh, boy, okay. Mm-hmm. I have some cleansing spray that I'm just going to protect myself with. Okay, I am surrounded by the light. Okay. You guys ready? Yep. Okay. Of God, do no damage to this person or to any other people in this house. Lord Jesus Christ, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts and our lives, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit into our lives, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, our living God. Stay away! I now exercise you, most unclean spirit. You gave power to your apostles to pass through dangers unharmed. Armed with the power of your Holy Spirit, I can attack the evil spirit in confidence and security. Yeek. So that's that little sample. The fuck? (laughs) That's just such a disturbing voice. And obviously that could be somebody, I guess, changing their voice, but it just, it gives me the goosebumps. Uh Uh-huh. Yeek. Oh boy. Are you ready to stay up all night long? (laughs) All night long. All night long. (laughs) Um, Oh boy. Oh boy. I don't know how to like make this okay. <laughs> oh god. Oh boy, it's going to be a long, long couple of nights, days, things. I have so much cleansing work to do. I should probably like I said, I'm not going to tell any stories. I'm just going to okay. go and start cleansing <laughs> shit. Wow. That is terrifying. Mhm. Truly terrifying. I actually I did make a note. I I feel like we did have a story somewhere of another televised exorcism. I don't oh, know why I don't know. that Sounded somewhat familiar. Somebody will tell us if I'm yeah. making it up or if I'm thinking of like a an exorcism that was done sort maybe in front of a bigger audience. Maybe not, yeah. not maybe not necessarily televised so much as more people witnessed it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wow, it is getting harder to track all that stuff just because uh, we've done so many stories now. I mean, I, I keep I keep a list so I don't repeat a story. I know. I could go back into that list and look for it. But, I mean, but I but I also don't have that list memorized, you know, just, uh, yeah, just, yeah, we've done done a lot of different tales now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I still get spooked. I still get spooked. I, it, go, it comes in waves. I'll go like a few weeks and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm fine. okay now. I'm adjusted. And then, and then every once in a while, it'll just like, yeah, a couple stories will just get me. Mm-hmm. And, and today's, what's interesting is today's, maybe just because of where I was reaching, I think I was researching them on the, on the plane or on vacation. Like it, it didn't bother me as much doing it in little bites here and there, mm-hmm. but then telling them today was the most freaked out I got by them. It's so interesting that you say that. Sorry, I, I did like a, because I realized I don't think I gave you a squishy. Oh, oh dear. I'll, I know what to do. I'll go, I'll Joe, grow. we're going to oh, need Joe's some help. Um, in the box. 
There's Joe. Look at it. That was oh, not a black so, figure. That was Joe. There's so many of them in there. Just reach your hand in and pick oh, let's one. Do, let's do this today. Oh, oh fun. It's like a grab bag. Okay, close oh. your eyes. Close your eyes. Oh, okay. Well, I was going for this guy. Okay, fine. I, this then, is the one I wanted. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Mm-hmm. I got a little skeleton guy. Thank you, producer Joe. Yeah. Say hi to everybody. Show your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, Joe. Sorry about that, guys. Um, oh, oh, yeah, because you were talking about researching on the plane and then like on vacation. Yeah. So last night was the second night that we slept at home. The first night, I was so like jet lagged and tired and we'd had like an overnight flight Mm -hmm. and I had taken a gummy and like slept really hard. So I didn't feel anything. I didn't, whatever. Everything seemed fine. Last night when I went to bed, I don't know if it's because of the stories that we recorded yesterday Mm -hmm. or if there truly is something going on in our room that I felt so much different energy. And I was lying there thinking, did I feel this at all on vacation? No. And I was thinking about, okay, what about that room? Was it lighter? Then I started thinking, is there a mirror on an exterior wall in that house that we stayed in? Mm -hmm. And then I I was like, okay, okay. I think the one you walked right into our bedroom where there was that little like um, counter where we could drop all of our stuff. I think that was to an exterior wall. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. Okay. So then in my mind, that helped me dismiss our mirror. I mean, I have crystals on top of our mirror now. I have crystals over our doorway. Like, I need to resalt the doorways. I did do a smoke cleanse like a couple weeks ago, right before we went on vacation. But I don't, our room just felt, I don't know. I I don't know if I was, hmm. ha- again, I don't know if I was having a hard time sleeping because I took the wrong yeah. kind of gummy. That could have been it. I could have been hungry because I'm trying to get back on my diet. Yeah. Uh, there could be something there. It could be just getting back in the groove of recording because we didn't record for a chunk. I don't know. But did you feel... But mm-hmm. but you didn't feel anything last night, but you slept really hard. But the night before, you saw potentially something in our house. Yeah, it did, didn't freak me out though. But yeah. I think sometimes I don't necessarily think that it's something evil mm-hmm. so much as it's just something. Mm-hmm. And it just the thought of that is enough to scare me. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh boy. It is going to be... Such a long, long week, my friend. Oh, boy. Are you ready for me to try and scare you back? I am. I don't I know am. if I can outdo you this week. I mean, those were those, <laughs> those were, were something. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Well, we're going to start with a possible hat man okay. uh, appearance. We haven't seen him in a, in a while. And I thought it was interesting in the story that the uh, the fan who tells the story doesn't draw that conclusion. It was like they just skipped it. I'm like, how did you oh, not call huh? that out? Hmm. So maybe it didn't occur to them. So sorry <laughs> yeah. if I'm about to point out uh, something. But riddle me this, Dan. Like <laughs> if you see something, yeah. an apparition, and it's wearing a hat, do you mm-hmm. immediately jump to hat man? Yeah, just because of how many times we've talked about that entity or, you know, like that uh, phenomenon here. Yes. What if it's not wearing like the wide-brimmed hat? What if it's wearing a baseball cap? Uh, then I, you know what? It would have to be a very specific image for me to think of like the the hat man mythology kind of stuff there. Okay, yeah. yeah. If, it, if it was wearing anything else, I would, yeah, I wouldn't think of that. Yeah. He freaks me out more than a lot of other things because there's mm-hmm. never an instance that someone has seen him that it hasn't been real fucking scary. True. True. Right? Yeah. There's no, yeah, no, nah, there's no, that I, that I'm aware of, there's has been no friendly encounters. Mm-mm. With this supposed hat man. No, he doesn't seem friendly, protective, Mm-mm. helpful. That he not, just seems pure naughty. That's not the lore around this thing. This yeah, thing yeah, is yeah. Uh, real bad, supposedly. Well, all right. Let's see what uh, Amanda has to share with us. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. My name is Amanda. I'm a fellow creeper, but I'm a rational creeper. <laughs> I usually only expose myself to scary stuff during the day or with my husband around. I often listen to your podcast while I'm cleaning our bed and breakfast. 
Sometimes I'll have my headphones in and I'll forget that I have the vacuum going, which is one of those auto vacuums, like a Roomba. It will come up and bump into me, usually at the scariest moment of the podcast. Freaks me out every time, especially since I always, since I'm always alone in the house when I'm cleaning. But with this podcast, it has a funny way of making you feel like you're not alone. Before I get to my story, I just want to give you a little background on my paranormal experiences. In my family, we all believe that we have a little bit of a sixth sense and all have clairvoyant dreams. It's not a constant thing, but we do have interesting experiences every now and then. We think it stems from my mom. My mom is the only surviving relative of her immediate family. She lost her dad at 14, her youngest brother 20 plus years ago, her mom a year later, and just lost her youngest brother last year. Because of all of the lost, I've always felt like my family on the other side was near. If there are bad spirits or demons, there's got to be good ones too, right? It's safe to say I've always felt protected and never really encountered a bad spirit. Until a few years ago. In 2019, my husband, uh, my husband, three-month-old son, and I all moved into my in-law's house in Las Vegas for a short period of time. When we moved in, I immediately noticed strange things happening. A few times while I was nursing my son, the ceiling fan would turn on by itself out of nowhere. The lights would flicker and the power would constantly go out, but only in our room. One night, I was up late in the kitchen. From the kitchen, there's a short hallway that leads to the garage and the laundry room. As I was baking cookies, I heard someone walk behind me and go into the laundry room. I knew someone or something walked behind me because there was a cooler with some Tupperware stacked on it near the entrance of the hallway and it just started rocking. After checking, I realized no one had in fact walked by. As usual, I tried to brush it off, but this time it felt different. It made me nervous and scared. A few weeks later, one of the scariest things ever happened to me. My husband would work late nights, so it was just my son and I sleeping in our bed for easy transitions of nursing throughout the night. I woke up slightly because my son's breathing started to change. He was breathing a lot faster than normal, and he started to do a very soft whimper, as if he were scared. It concerned me at first, but I kept my eyes closed trying to sleep until he really started to cry. That's when I felt something. Someone was trying to pull me off the bed, pulling at my arm, pulling at my shoulder. I rapidly opened my eyes and looked at the foot of the bed and saw a man with a black suit, hat, mustache, and glowing eyes staring down at me. I was petrified. You know that bad feeling you get in the bottom of your throat and the top of your heart? I got that as soon as I saw him. Before I even tried to move or react, I heard a voice in my head telling me, this is a bad spirit and you need to ask it to leave. Without any hesitation, I sternly told it to leave and instantly the man disappeared. Hmm. I told my husband about it the next morning and he chalked it up as sleep paralysis. I had experienced sleep paralysis as a kid, but never to the extent of seeing an actual person or even hearing someone speak to me. Also on this occasion, I never felt paralyzed. It all happened so fast that I didn't even try to move. With my family history of clairvoyant dreams, I wondered if this bad spirit was trying to haunt me during my more vulnerable state. A week later, it happened again. It started off exactly the same with my son's rapid breathing, followed by the whimpers. I then started to feel someone trying to pull me off the bed. Goosebumps immediately emerged, and I knew he was back. After feeling the pulling, I opened my eyes to the sight of the haunting man with the glowing eyes staring down at me. I again was promptly told in a concerned tone in my head, this is a bad spirit and you need to ask it to leave. This time I said it differently. 
I remembered learning about casting demons and devils out through some of my religious studies. I then confidently stated, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. The man didn't just vanish this time. He dissipated in Mm. a way that seemed like he was being yanked from not only me, but from our world. He slowly got smaller and smaller until I couldn't see him anymore. I haven't seen this man. And coincidentally, I stopped experiencing other weird things around the house, too. To this day, I wonder if it was sleep paralysis or a personal haunting. We are now in our own home and have had our second child with no experiences as such. I often wonder if my good spirits slash family were nudging me awake, trying to warn and protect me and my son from this bad spirit. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah, that that is a uh, that that connection. Her husband made with sleep paralysis. I mean, that that does come up a lot around the Hat Man. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of stories like that where people are like, "Yeah, but this felt different," you know, where they like uh, see this figure so clearly. I think it's just an easy go-to. Oh, you must have been dreaming. Oh, it must have been sleep paralysis. Yeah. I'm not saying sleep paralysis doesn't happen. It sure does. I mean, mm-hmm. it's scientifically proven. But it just seems like an easy write-off. Like, yeah. ugh, you're fine. It's weird with the hat. Like like, like, like a shadowy entity and cert- a certain kind of part of your periphery with sleep paralysis, there is some kind of, uh, yeah, like, like scientific. Like, they, they figured out, they think, like, why that image kind of, like, comes up. I don't remember why exactly. Hmm. It's, it's been a while since I, like, dug into it. Um, on time suck side, but but the hat is a weird add-on, mm-hmm. and 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 that's usually like it's it's um oh like where it's kind of positioned by you is not directly like in your line like full line of vision, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's always kind of weird too when it's mm-hmm. something like directly in your line of vision and has a hat like 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 the mustache like all these extra features right is very odd, yeah that your brain would manufacture that oh just so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she, I mean, she was she was right. Sounds like to recognize it as right from the very beginning as something that was not friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Smart mama. Smart mama. Uh, okay, you ready for- Good ending. It went away. I know. They got lucky. They mm-hmm. got the fuck out and it went away. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I, she didn't disclose if anything continued to happen in that house because it was her in-law's house. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound- The yeah. way she wraps it up, it sounds mm-hmm. like it just went away. Mm-hmm. So- her conclusion that maybe it was about her seems valid. Mm-hmm. Something about her energy in that house, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Ready for one more? I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, one thing that we discuss a lot here is what happens when we die. I mean, oh, yeah. ultimately, mm-hmm. that's the the premise of this whole show. Really, when you think about it, like, what happens on the other side? Mm-hmm. And mostly, we think that it's, you know, from death that we get these spirits, right? Doesn't Yeah. I mean... Yeah, like 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 the ghost ones for sure, and then there's and then there's I, I don't know like the with the alien type one. Oh like yeah, with entities are supposedly not human. Who the hell knows? Right, but that aren't like are. uh, I don't want to say imagined, but don't seem like uh, shadowy figures. Like right. an, an alien feels more tangible, right. even though it's not. Or like you know like things that are assigned like demonic. You know that yeah. title. I mean, I don't know what they're part of. And I guess they could not be the result of a, the death right. of a person. It could it just could be just a separate be... thing. Yeah, but I mean, but but most of the stuff we deal with, uh, I would think, it does seem to be like people who are alive, then they died, and then they've come back to contact this world in some way. That's what it seems like and, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. And that is the thing that, that most interests me, I guess, about this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there is that part of the thing of like, what else is just out there in general? But really with the strong interest, probably for most people, I would think listening, like you just talked to, is just like, well, yeah, what... 
how are we tied to this? How is our, and how is our death tied to this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, can we come back and talk to our family members? Like it doesn't always have to be bad. True. Exactly. Right? So it can be like, yeah. maybe perhaps in this instance, is it maybe a warning about something? Hmm. So let's dive in. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, I've recently discovered your podcast and it's become my favorite pastime while I work or do house chores. Love your guys' energy and hope the Scared to Death podcast lives on for a long time. Oh, thank you. Listening to the fan stories, as well as buying one of the books, I've mustered up the courage to put my story into writing as the only people who know about it are me, my mom, and my grandmother. Hmm. When I was a young girl, I lived with my mom who fell on hard times. Money was tight and she worried about a roof over my head. And so it was decided that we should move into my grandmother's. My grandma inherited the home and it had been in our family for two generations before. Located down an old dirt road in rural South Carolina with three bedrooms, a big fenced-in yard, and a relatively safe area, it seemed like a good choice and my mom was happy with the positive change. Things were looking up. Moving in was a breeze and I was thrilled to have the upstairs to myself. It had one bedroom and a bathroom that led out to an open area where the stairs met. Downstairs contained Jack and Jill bedrooms with the bathroom connecting them and a large living room and kitchen. I remember walking through the front door and feeling at home. However, that changed the first night in my new room. I woke up in the middle of the night shivering and feeling like I was being watched. The single window on the wall let little light in from the porch, but just enough for me to see him. A tall, thin man stood at the end of my bed with a devilish grin, looking at me with black eyes like I was prey and him the predator. I felt suffocated under his gaze, unable to move, speak, or even breathe. He drifted to my side of the twin bed and hovered his face above mine. I remember the smell well. He smelled like rotting meat, disease, and all things ugly and decayed. All of the sudden, pressure started building in my chest. He wasn't touching me, but I could feel his weight, dark and heavy. I snapped out of my silent shock and screamed. I screamed so loud that I would lose my voice. I could tell my screams amused him. Thankfully, my mom heard me and rushed upstairs to my room. And as soon as the door flung open, my mom called my name and he was gone. All that was left was the odor of him. She tried to comfort me, but nothing worked. All I could see when I closed my eyes was his ugly, terrifying face. I spent the rest of the night in my mom's bed, unable to sleep, scared that the man would show his face again. A few days went by with no strange occurrences, but I still felt the heaviness in my room, but at least I didn't see the man. It was a little before my bedtime, and I was upstairs, hanging out in my room, when I suddenly felt very cold. I glanced across my room, and the figure of a boy, a little older than me, looked at me with sad eyes. His mouth moved, like he was trying to tell me something, but no words would come out. I could tell he was getting frustrated that I couldn't understand him. And then, without warning, he disappeared. I felt a flash of hot breath next to my right ear. Jonathan, he whispered. Every hair stood up on my body and I screamed. I don't think I've ever ran so fast out of my room, down the stairs and into the kitchen where my mom was making tea. Mom, mom, there's a boy in my room. I yelled this over and over until my mom could finally get in a word edgewise. She tried to convince me it was just my imagination until I told her his name. She immediately tensed up, but tried to play it off quickly. Still, worry lingered in her eyes. We lived at my grandma's for four more months until we moved into our own apartment. During that time, I saw the man and the boy often. They would both stare at me, occasionally interacting with each other and me. The man scared the shit out of me, but the boy just seemed lost. 
I wasn't sure if what I saw was my own screwed up nightmare or something paranormal for many years. But a few years ago, I brought the topic up to my mom and she seemed nervous at first and then breathed a sigh of relief like she'd been wanting the courage to tell me the truth all these years. She told me my great uncle lived there with his son, Jonathan, before Mm. my grandma moved in. My uncle had allowed a friend to move in who needed a place to stay at the time, and it was later suspected that this friend may have been abusing Jonathan, but nothing was ever confirmed. Jonathan sadly ended up dying by suicide at the age of 12 in the room where I slept. My mom and grandma never saw anything like I did, but they later told me they did feel uncomfortable in the home from time to time like they were being watched, sometimes with the faint smell of rotting meat lingering in the air. Thinking about the incident sends chills down my spine to this day. After doing some digging of my own, I later found out that every single boy named Jonathan in my immediate family has died at a young age, whether it be by suicide, disease, or some freak accident. Seven of them so far. Oh my God. Family curse? Strange coincidence? I don't know exactly what to make of it, but one thing is for sure, there's no way in hell I'm naming my son Jonathan. I'm 21 now and have experienced a lot of death between my family and friends, so I've done a lot of pondering about what happens after death. I've yet to come to a conclusion like so many others, but I can say I believe past loved ones can watch out for us. I believe the spirit of my cousin Jonathan protect me, protected me from whatever malicious being was lurking in that home. Thanks for listening to my story. I hope it freaks you out as much as it did me. Uh, yeah, that was, that, was a, that was a freaky one. Uh-huh. Man, that's so sad. So sad. So sad. Yeah, 12. Uh-huh. And then Man. seven family members? Like, stop, yeah, that, name, stop naming people Jonathan. Oh stop God. it. Just stop it. I mean, she's going to stop it. Like, my. It's crazy there's that many Jonathans. And they just have like that one name so well, much. If you would okay, think about it this way: It's like, uh, like your dad's Dan, you're a Dan. You could yeah. have had a Dan. Like, I mean, you could just yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a very common name, but yeah, right. And then I also think about like in my family, on both sides of the family, there are some people with the same name. It's like I have these mm, two cousins, mm-hmm. Tony, and they're the same age. My dad's sister named her kid Tony, and my mom's sister named her kid Tony, and we all had holidays together. So there was this Tony and that Tony. It's like, really? Okay, that name means that much to people. Like. You just have to keep using the same six names. <laughs> right. Oh, man. That was, uh, we had some creepy stories today. Creepy people. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eek. You could have like a cousin Dan, an uncle Dan, a yeah. papa Dan, a grandpa Dan. It'd be real easy to get to seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah, seven strange deaths. Ugh. Yeah, seven of them were, were, was like like seven deaths, that, that none of which were uh, passed away peacefully in their old age. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't sound even like um, had cancer and battled it for years. It sounds like weird mm-hmm. because the author says death by suicide, disease, or freak accident. And the way that they say disease, I don't get the feeling that it was some long drawn out battle yeah. with something like just some sort of freak thing that just takes you. Yeek. I'm so glad none of us are named Jonathan. <laughs> I'd be so uncomfortable. You want to uh, you want to thank our Annabelles, or do you want me to do first today? Oh, I can go first, Dan. Thanks. And I'm gonna be and I'm gonna be nice today about the names. I'm, not, I'm gonna try not to repeat the last what last week's last time mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. week's Annabelle debacle. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. just waiting to know that. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to uh, donate to those in the Ukraine this month. Sandra Carter. Bianca Salazar, Karen Hill, 
Calamari plane. <laughs> Probably Satan. <laughs> Kyle, uh. Kyle Hanlon. Crystal Britton. Sandy Nodal. Adam Morgan. Kyler Clunan. Good name, Kyler. Riz Middlestet. Charlie Rogers. Robin Brown. Justin Caldwell. Cody White. Swifty Squirrel. Swifty Squirrel. <laughs> Jeremy Griffin. Tammy and George Schlunaker. Rob Kretzler. Nicholas Terrell. Tyler Rennick. Matthew Garcia. Sarah Eag. Joshua Watson. Christy M. And Jeff Birdzel. Jeff Birdzel. Uh, I would like to thank the uh, following Annabelle's Rafael Gonzalez, uh, Matt Kilgus, David Druzinski, Brandy D. Frank, James Eberly, Devin Ellis, Vonnegut 13, Jennifer Wilson, J. Rock, <laughs> Taylor Hammond, Leanne Diamond, Matthew Raines, Schuler Marshall, Joe Lebrandi, Amy Pilk, Faith Trahan, Piper Matthews, Memily Serena, Lexi J. Walker, Veronica Whitaker, Megan Blind, Marie Brock, Sarah Odin, Emily Nuttle, and Mark Jagels. Sarah Odin, not Sarah? The way it's written, uh, S-A-R-H-A. S-A-R-A-H? Oh, maybe it was a maybe it was a type. That's just the way I copied it over. I didn't retype it. I just I just copied what you put. So maybe it's Sarah Odin oh, well, instead of Sarah. Sarah, Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to comment. I love the name Veronica. Yeah. I love that name. That's a good name. It's a good one. I have a few spoopy shout outs okay. to Brittany from Frankie. Happy anniversary to Corey from Tim. Happy birthday. You're the best friend ever. And also happy 420 to, oh, I love this one, to Carl from Alex and Dom. But really it's to Carl from himself as he knows his brother won't remember to do this for him as he had done it for his brother. Happy birthday, Carl. In Australia. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> he was like, I know that those idiots aren't going to do it for me. I'll do it for myself. Uh, that is our show today. It was a fun one. I feel like um, I feel vacation brain over. Yes, I feel back. I feel focused. I feel like mm -hmm. I can read words on a page yeah. again. Hey, you did great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror, everyone, to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at, scared, uh, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing, directing today, tossing that squishy. <laughs> uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three. Thanks to producer producer Olivia Lee for finding the first story I told today and to producer Sophie Evans for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show in addition to listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see the pictures that we talk about in each show uh, at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of horror lovers. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating that. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon and get the entire catalog ad-free and so much more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. 
Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life.